0: tav katham ritam Kalma Shapaham, Sravana Mangalam, Sri Madhatatam, Bhuvi So as in the last class, we were just saying that Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that how painful it was when he was in Kashi. He was in Vanaras He went for a pilgrimage along with Mathur. His idea was, with his pure mind, his idea was that Kashi is the holiest of the holy place, and There, everyone must be contemplating on the divine throughout the day. And going there, it's not only Mathur. He found that actually the ways of life is same anywhere. Even in the holy places, most of the people are worldly minded, just constantly discussing on worldly affairs. They forget that that's the place where it's full of spiritual vibration. If one tries to contemplate in a holy place very easily, at ease, without much effort, one can concentrate his mind. Because that place is vibrant with spirituality. A place becomes vibrant with spirituality when for ages, for ages, the people, the aspirants visit that place and spend their time in intense spiritual practice. And that creates a vibration. You may say, is it really a truth that some vibration is created? Even in our day-to-day life, we will find that someday you are not in a very good mood. You don't feel like practicing your spiritual practices. And Just as a routine or as someone wants you to accompany, you visit a holy place, a temple, and suddenly you find that your total temperament changes. You feel that the the calmness, the tranquility, at ease is developing in your mind. You go, you get filled with devotion and suddenly your total mood changes. It speaks of the spiritual vibration there. The place where we are, what we are doing there throughout the day, that do affect the others. As in Vedanta we believe, and in our scriptures we believe that the mind is one. It's just like the internet. Anything and everything is available there. What you download constitutes your personality. Anything can be downloaded. Anything can be accessed there. What I download, that constitutes my personality. So, so spiritual places are the place where that, that common mind, the same common mind, there it's all the people are as if accessing there, the, the spiritual, only the spiritual vibrations. That makes that place so vibrant. As in our scriptures they say, tirthi Kurvanti sadhava. It is the spiritual aspirants who convert a place into a Tirtha. Tirthi Kurvanti. It's not that a spiritual place has been made in the heaven and thrown on the earth. It's not like that. It has been created. It's we, the humans who create it. And that's why we were mentioning that in a spiritual place, in a pilgrimage, if we resort to spiritual practice, the results will be tenfold. Because you are availing the spiritual vibrations there and at ease you progress. And if we are doing the contrary, discussing worldly things, engaged in worldly affairs, then the things which as such may not harm us when we are just going through our daily course in our place of place, in our place of residence. It may not in any way harm us, but it will harm us immensely when we are doing the same thing in the holy place just like when you are passing uh, by the school you will find that the road which was uh, where the speed limit was 60 kilometers per hour suddenly changes to 40 it was 80 kilometers per hour suddenly it changes to 40 it was quite okay to drive quite fast before the school zone when you come to the school zone immediately you have to reduce the speed why because that's the place where the children's, the children's security will be compromised if you are speeding. And that's why there will be terrible fine for you. The same way the spiritual place, the things which are quite okay when you are at household is something very, very a grievous offense when you are doing those things at a spiritual place because you are destroying the vibration there. You are polluting the vibration there. So that's why we find that Sri Ramakrishna is saying that it's what a terrible pain it is when I found that after coming to Kashi, thinking that all the people are always totally devoted to the spiritual practices is leading an ordinary life in the worldly way of life. Mathur, who brought Sri Ramakrishna He's along with his other accompaniments is discussing on the lawsuit and other worldly affairs, and that pains Sri Ramakrishna so much that he cried to the mother, "Oh mother, why you brought me here?" So next, his in his words as a continuation, what he's saying that that doesn't mean that he is declining the holy place. The holy place do is a, has an importance and significance. It has a great role to play on spiritual. Life that was being indicated by Sri Ramakrishna in the next paragraph. But one undoubtedly finds inspiration in a holy place. I accompanied Mathur Babu to Vrindavan. Ride and the ladies of Mathur's family were in our party. No sooner did I see the Kaliyadaman Ghat than a divine emotion surged up within me. I was completely overwhelmed. Rida used to bathe me there as if I were a small child. He was so full of divine inebriation that he couldn't take care of his own uh, daily course. That's why Rida used to bathe me as if I were a small child. He had no capacity to undertake his daily routine. He was so oblivious of the surrounding. So This is a very interesting thing. The one who is spiritually evolved, they are very sensitive that even we in the holy place may not feel that vibration. They feel it very intensely. It's very interesting. The Vrindavan was lost. If you just read the history, no one knew where the Vrindavan was. It was lost in history. It was total, it became a, it was a forest, bushy area. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When he was touring across in this, around India, before he settled in Puri, uh, Jagannath Puri, after taking sannyasa, he was traveling all around India. He went to the south. On his way back, he went to the north India, and when he was in the so-called place called Vrindavan, he had this intense spiritual this uh, what you say that ecstasy in all the places the which was related to Krishna's lila. he visited and because of that spiritual inebriation which he had he could easily decipher discover that where Krishna actually had played this divine play the Govardhan mountain the this Kaliyadaman Ghat and all these places related to Krishna's life which was lost in history. It it is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who was going there and he felt the tremendous that intense spiritual vibration there and that's how the entire Vrindavan was rediscovered. If you uh, just read the history you will find that how Vrindavan was rediscovered. even in the life of Ramakrishna is a very interesting story. When Ramakrishna visited Navadvip, he had an impression that as is the, the Gauriya Bhaktas, the devotees of Chaitanya, they call the Gauriya Bhakta. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was called Gaur, as he was a very, very golden complexion. That's why he was called Gaur. And his devotees are called Gaudiya Sampradaya. So these Gaudiya Sampradaya devotees, they consider Jagannath Maha, they consider Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as an avatar, as a divine incarnation. And his birthplace was Navadvip. Before going to Puri, his he had his before sannyasa, lot of divine place he enacted there. So when Ramakrishna visited that place. He felt no as such divine inebriation. He saw, he was in his own words, he saw the image of Gaur Nitai, Nityananda, his associate, and Gauranga Mahabrabhu. their wooden statues everywhere. And he found no such vibration. And he was extremely pained. He thought, is it that all of them just made him an avatar? Is he not a real avatar? I don't feel like. And very interesting, after his Navadvip trip, when he again boarded the boat to go back to Dakshineshwar, on the meet of Ganges, suddenly he had a vision that as if from the skies, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda with their raised hands rushing towards him, they came and merged in Ramakrishna's body when he was in the boat. And Ramakrishna was so ecstatic, he was about to fall from the boat. And Rida was there to get hold of him. Otherwise he would have fallen in the Ganges. Very interesting, he never had any spiritual feeling when he was in Navadri. When he was returning on the meet of Ganges, then he had that feeling. Very interesting. The archeological findings must after that, much after that recently, few decades back, as per the archeological finding, the Ganga river changes its course. It goes on, changes its course. It's not always that, that it's the same uh, path it is following. It changes that uh, constantly, that one embankment will be breaking and other in other embankment, there will be sedimentation. And that's why it gradually changes its course. And they say that the Navadvip in Jagannath in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time is now beneath the riverbed, is in the riverbed. Ganga is very wide expanse there. It has gone beneath the riverbed. And just see that how wonderfully their spiritual this vibration uh, tallies with the real vibration that they're so sensitive so that's the same thing which we find with sri ramakrishna is indicating here here also that he felt that that the places of krishnas divine sport was filled with that uh, spiritual inebriation that is being indicated by his word but one undoubtedly finds inspiration in a holy place i accompanied mathur babu to vrindavan Rida and the ladies of mathur's family were in our party no sooner did I see the Kaliya heart Ghat and a divine emotion surged up within me. I was completely overwhelmed. <coughs> Rida, Rida used to bathe me there as if I were a small child. In the dusk, <coughs> I would walk on the bank of the Yamuna when the cattle returned along the sandy banks from their pastures. <coughs> At the very sight of those cows, the thought of Krishna <clears throat> would flash in my mind. I would run, I would run along like a madman crying. Oh, where is Krishna? Where is my Krishna? I went to Shyamakunda and Radha Kunda, places near Mathura associated with the episode of Radha and Krishna in a palanquin and got out to visit the holy Mount Govardhan. At the very sight of the Mount, I was overpowered with divine emotion and ran through the top. I lost all consciousness of the world around me. The residents of the place helped me to come down on my way to the sacred pools of Shyamakunda and Radhakunda when I saw the meadows, the trees, The shrubs, the birds and the deer. I was overcome with ecstasy. My clothes became wet with tears. I said, O Krishna, everything here is as it was in the olden days. You alone are absent. Seated inside the palanquin, I lost all power of speech. Ride followed the palanquin. He had warned the bearers to be careful about me. Ganga Mai became very fond of me in Vrindavan. An old devout lady, this Ganga Mai, she was a Vaishnavite, an old devout lady and she also used to have this spiritual ecstasy and people used to throng around her to see her in that ecstatic uh, inabration. That's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna also will indicate. And Sri Ramakrishna was very fond uh, that of Gangamai, and Gangamai also was very fond of Sri Ramakrishna. They had a mutual attraction as they were both spiritually evolved. So this elderly lady, Gangamai, became very fond of me in Vrindavan. She was an old woman who lived all alone in a hut near the Nidhuvan. Referring to my spiritual condition and ecstasy, she said, he is the very embodiment of Radha. She addressed me as Dulali. Dulali is the name, another name of Radha. So that's why she used to call as she thought her to be an incarnation of Radha, she addressed him as Dulali. When with her, I used to forget my food and drink, my bath and all thought of going home. On some days, Rida used to bring food from home and feed me. Gangamai also would serve me with food prepared by her own hands. Gangama used to experience trances. At such times, a great crowd would come to see her. her. One day in a state of ecstasy, she climbed on Rida's shoulders. I didn't want to leave her and return to Calcutta. Everything was arranged for me to stay with her. I was to eat double boiled rice, and we were to have our beds on either side of the cottage. All the arrangements had been made when Rida said, we have such a weak stomach, who will look after you? Why, said Ganga Mai, I shall look after him. I will nurse him. As Rida dragged me by one hand and she by the other, I remembered my mother who was then living alone in Nahabat, in the temple garden of Dakshineshwar. I found it impossible to stay away from her and said to Gangamai, no, I must go. I love the atmosphere of Vrindavan. So here it reminds me of a very interesting incident in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that Ganga Mai in ecstasy climbed in Rida's shoulders. Uh, it was... Uh, in one temple when because of the crowd she couldn't see the deity. She was so full of ecstasy that she forgot the situation and just to see the deity she climbed on the Rida's shoulder. A very similar incident happened in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Very interesting. If you go to Jagannath Puri that in the end of the Natu mandir there is the, uh, this Gopuram, this Thambha. Now, Mahaprabhu never used to go near the deity. He used to get so full of divine ecstasy that she, he couldn't uh, keep his uh, consciousness. He used to just swoon, he used to become unconscious. So just to maintain his, uh, what you say, this uh, uh, this normal state, that he shouldn't get too much overwhelmed. He used to always stand on the rear end of the nat Mandir and he will just keep one of his hand on that pillar. And for hours together, he will go on just looking at the the deity of Jagannath Mahaprabhu with just constantly, it was his daily routine. And one day there was a huge crowd and almost a similar incident happened that an elder lady was not able to see the deity because of the crowd. And she was totally oblivious of the surrounding and she climbed on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's shoulder, just like the way Gangamai climbed Rida's shoulder to have a this look of, to just have a darshan of Jagannath Mahaprabhu. And seeing the lady climbing Jagannath Mahaprabhu's the shoulders, the associates of the, the sevaks of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they came running. They were about to reprimand that lady. And in the meantime, Mahaprabhu's that he was in Bhava Samadhi. He came down when someone when that lady got up on her shoulder, naturally he was a bit distracted. He came down from that step and he desisted the others from just disturbing that lady. Mahaprabhu, with folded hands, what he said is something wonderful. That the devotion which you have, that's the thing I yearn for. The Lord has never given me that devotion. Just see that how their perspective changes. Seeing that Mahaprabhu being a sannyasi would never touch the question of touching, they would never even be in association with the ladies. In those days, the rules of sannyasa were very strict. And here, when in an ecstatic mode, a lady has climbed on a shoulder, he is giving, appreciating her devotion, he found, he understood that she was totally oblivious of the surrounding. It was not that she did it consciously. And she, instead of reprimanding her, she was actually, he was actually praising her by saying that how fortunate you are, the Lord has never blessed me with that type of devotion. So that's the divine ecstasy which we find. in a devotee, that Ganga Mai also is so ecstatic. And Ramakrishna finding someone of that intense devotion, he also wanted to be in association with Ganga Mai. He planned that he will, as Ganga Mai insisted, he planned that he will stay with her and con- and just continue her so his, his uh, the, what you say, the spiritual his spiritual journey was over. Continue his days. In association with the devotees of Vrindavan. Like the like the place Vrindavan so much. He wanted to stay there. And then what he says is very interesting. Then the thought of his mother came. In Ramakrishna's life, when, when anyone asked Holy Mother, that it was the in those days, it was a very common opinion that Ramakrishna's advent is, is to establish the harmony of religion. When someone told is it so to Holy Mother they asked is it so that to establish the harmony of religion is Ramakrishna have descended and Mother's reply was that I never think that he planned that way. If you ask me that what is the special significance of his life is his renunciation. Now you may say anyone may say at any of the divine incarnation renunciation is the common thing they have this renunciation without renunciation we cannot think of spiritual illumination then why holy mother is saying that in ramakrishna's life renunciation is unique it's really unique you will for, throughout the spiritual history a wonderful thing you will find you will never find that renunciation is so spontaneous What's the spontaneity of the renunciation, in all the this divine uh, uh, incarnations, be it Jesus, be it Buddha, you find that they have renounced their hearth and home. They have to renounce their heart and home and take and just re- resort to sannyasa. Buddha left his wife to take sannyasa. In Ramakrishna's life, the renunciation was spontaneous. He never, as such, renounced formally anything. That when he was so every when he was going through his spiritual journey, totally oblivious of the surrounding, he was so in absorbed in intense sadhana. In those days, for four months, he used to come back to Kamarpukur to spend his days there, because in those for those four months, the Ganga used to become so turbulent. That the dysentery and cholera was very common. Those who used to stay in in those days, there was no access to pure water. They used to take the Ganga water, and Sri Ramakrishna found that his health gets highly affected in those four months, and he used to come back to Kamarpukur, and that's when the mother Chandramani Devi of the biological mother of Sri Ramakrishna. Seeing that Ramakrishna is, apparently appeared to be like a mad person and all the villagers, they advised that give him on marriage, just let him be married and then somehow his mind will come down to the worldly affairs. And when it was proposed to Ramakrishna that you should marry, immediately agreed. He never said no. He never disobeyed his mother. When, whatever mother wanted, he was willing. But you see the renunciation. Tremendous that everything that, uh, that he was married, he was as such like any other uh, householder, but in no way he lived, he lived a householder's life. So he worshipped Holy Mother as the Divine Mother. The, na- the marriage was never consummated. But he, whatever norms the society wanted, he followed. He never formally forced renunciation. When he took sannyasa, when in Dakshineshwar, very interesting, he was staying, he was, when Puri came, formally he took sannyasa. At that time, Devi was in Dakshineshwar. Ramakrishna felt that if mother comes to know that he has taken formal sannyasa, she will be highly shocked. Means she will be terribly uh, she will feel extreme pain that any mother feels the pain if the son takes sannyasa. We find in the life of even Shankaracharya that no mother is willing. So what Ramakrishna did, he got the permission from Totapuri that though I am taking sannyasa, I will never formally wear that ochre color cloth because mother will get pain. Just see... That renunciation was so spontaneous, he is following the norms of the life, here also we find the same thing. That when Ride pointed out, he forgot, because of his divine inebriation. he forgot that mother is there at Dakshineshwar. If he doesn't return, he will be extremely pained. And when Ride just mentioned that about the mother, that though he had that intense desire to continue his stay in Vrindavan, immediately immediately changed his resolution. So I found it impossible to stay away from her and that's to, to, from, from her own mother and said to Ganga Mai, no, I must go. I loved the atmosphere of Vrindavan. But again, we should always remember that this love is no ordinary love, though it is the love to her for her mother. But the way he looked at her mother, that's the thing which speaks of the spiritual evolution when if you ask just to uh, recollect we all know the uh, this incident in Ramakrishna's life that one day when holy mother she was a young lady that time she was uh, hardly in her teenage; she was 18 or 19 years old she was just in the advanced teenage and she was massaging Ramakrishna's feet in Dakshineshwar And then Holy Mother from behind her veil asked Ramakrishna that, how do you look at me? Says, what's your attitude towards me? And Ramakrishna's reply was wonderful. The mother who is in the shrine, in the the shrine of Bhavatarini, the mother, the same mother is my biological mother, the Garvadharini. And it is the same mother who at present is massaging my feet. It is the same mother who is massaging my feet. It is the same mother who is the biological mother. It is the same mother who is the, in the temple of the Bhavadarini. So these are the things in Ramakrishna's life which we have to always keep in mind. That renunciation is an attitudinal change. Is an attitudinal correction. It doesn't speak of what we are doing physically. Sometimes we find, with all our so-called physical physical observations, our mind is not pure. This mind is still dealing in the worldly ways of life. Externally, we may just make a show of religion, but the mind is not reformed. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say a very wonderful thing. What he used to say that Throughout the world, so much effort we make, as each and every individual make, what is the effort? To show others that I am a good person, I am a holy person. We make a show, so much effort is behind that to show others that I am a good person. And then Swamiji is saying that if the same effort, that so much of effort we make to show others that I am a good person, if the same effort was directed to really become good the world would have transformed that instead of just showing it would have really tried so that's the thing that there's a common uh, way of saying in, ben- in Bengal that shadhu shadhu na." Grihi grihi that always pretend to be a householder never become a householder and be a holy person. Don't pretend to be a holy person. We just do the opposite. In the Ramakrishna's life, that's the thing. There were so many incidences in his life that people came to Dakshineshwar hearing that there is a prof, there a Paramahamsa stays, And Ramakrishna was plucking flowers in the garden. And these people who came in search of Ramakrishna, thinking him to be the gardener, asked him, where is Ramakrishna? Because there was no external sign there was no external sign of a holy person. Just like a normal person, he used to wear a white cloth, sleep in bed, wear sleepers. So he was just like a normal person. So that the transformation was something within. So Sramakrishna used, used to sometimes uh, just jokingly uh, say that they come to see the Paramahansa. What do they think? That being as a Paramahansa should grow two horns so that the people can recognize him as a Paramahansa. That's a trend. Sri Ramakrishna always used to say that in the gospel in one place he has cautioned us that if you see a holy person with a hoarding, sitting with a hoarding uh, that with all signage and all advertisement never believe him. So religion can never be a show. Sometimes we just uh, show, make a show of religion. Religion is an inner transformation. It's a change of your total paradigm. It's change of your attitude. It has nothing to do with your external appearance. So that's the thing which we find so wonderful in Ramakrishna's life. The renunciation was spontaneous. He's following the norms of the society, performing his duty, that taking care of her mother, but at the same time he's detached. Detached, not that that he has no feeling for the mother. He do have respect, adoration for the mother, but not as the biological mother, as the divine mother. It is the divine mother who is just uh, finding expression as her mother, is manifested in her biological mother. That's why we find if just uh, even in the few classes back, we were in this, this, uh, our aim, the author of the gospel, who used to believe in the formless aspect of the divine. And when Ramakrishna was indicating it is so difficult to meditate on the formless aspect. And then M asked, can I meditate on my mother? Immediately Ramakrishna told yes, of course. And then the second line, if you remember, we just read it a few classes back think the divine mother, they think your mother is the divine mother has manifested as your biological mother don't think the biological mother as biological mother and worship her this is one of the very important thing in spiritual life why all what all our spiritual practice actually speaks of it speaks of relating to that dimension of our existence which is beyond all the limits that where we are worshipping the Satswarupa. In Sanskrit, Sat means that which is trikalavadhita, That alone is true, whose existence can never be interrupted by any phase of time, past, present, future. It was, it is, it will be. So all our worship, when you are trying to relate to an, uh, your, your dimension of existence, which is beyond this, our physical existence, that what happens, that when I think of myself, what I think that I was born at a certain point of time, I am going to die at a certain point of time, and I am going through the changes. I was a young boy, now I am a middle-aged man, now I will grow old and I will then at last I will die. So when the scriptures say that you are Satchidananda, The Sat, Chit, Ananda are not the attributes of the Absolute. The Absolute has no attributes. They are the negation of our limited sense of individuality. That I have an idea that I was born at a certain point of time, I am going to die at a certain point of time. To negate that, they say you are Sat swarupa, Means there is no limit. You are beyond. You were, you are, you will be. You are Purana Purusha. Pura Api Navaiva, the word purana means Pura Api Navaiva. Means there is no transformation. You are ever aging, but never old. Just you are in the eternal present. That's the Satswarupata. Then is it something Jada, that somehow the Jada has conglomerated and as sometimes the shallow science says, I won't say the science says, because science now, those who are really diving deep into the science, Though they may not proclaim that consciousness is there as the foundation of the existence, but they will never say that it is the matter and matter and all, uh, alone from which the consciousness is evolved. There's a big question mark there. So the scriptures say that our, our uh, uh, this Vedas, the Vedantas, what they proclaim, that Swarupata, which is eternal, which is the core of our being, is Chit is consciousness. It is consciousness. The matter is a product of that consciousness, not the opposite. The consciousness is the phenomenon. Matter is epiphenomenon. And that consciousness is Ananda Swarupa. Ananda swarupa means what in our life I find that we are always in duality, sometimes happy, sometimes in sometimes dejected, sometimes in pleasure, sometimes in pain. So this constantly we are vacillating between the two poles and there ananda swarupata means that you that the one who exists who are aware of our existence and that existence is beyond all duality it is always as it is that speaks of that ananda swarupata so that's the your real nature so when you are meditating what what is the all the spiritual practices at last entails to negate your sense of limited identity. When I'm a Bhakta, what I'm doing? The same thing that God is, he, he is infinite, He was, He is, He will be. The real me is infinite. I was, I am, I will be. I am an eternal association with the divine. This life is a flow, it will end. But the real me is not going to end. It is going to be in eternal association with the divine. So with this idea, you are negating the idea of your limited existence. The jnani, when he thinks that he is one with Brahman, he is doing the same thing. A yogi who thinks he is the Atman, separate from this body-mind consciousness, he is doing the same thing, that Atman is eternal. So this idea is the only thing which, like a programming, constantly what it does, it goes on hammering the ego around which, that ego, that I am this limited body-mind complex, with this idea, all the desires, all our likes, dislikes, all get, all get hooked to this ego. If you can get rid of this ego, all this falls off, rendering you free. It is impossible to get rid of our obsessions one by one. It never happens. In one go, it happens by hammering the ego. So all the spiritual practices at last entails in getting rid of that ego. As when someone is to ask Sri Ramakrishna that when shall I be free? And Sri Ramakrishna's answer was, Ami jave jave. when I cease to be. So when shall I be free? When I cease to be. So this is the very interesting thing that when that you love your mother, but how can there be a sense of renunciation? That's the idea. That love the mother, love your mother, love your father, love all your relatives, but not as a person of flesh and bone. It is the divine who has incarnated in that person. There are so many interesting stories, even in the life of Swami Vivekananda. After Swami Vivekananda passed away, his, uh, uh, there's a Miss uh, Josephine MacLeod, she used to consider herself as Swami Vivekananda's friend not as just as a disciple, though she was a disciple, but you know that like Sakha Bhava was there. When uh, Swami Vivekananda passed away, she visited Belurmat. There are very interesting stories that it was afternoon. The temple, this, uh, this uh, Swami Vivekananda's bedroom is still maintained just as it was in his last day. So this still maintained. So it was closed. Now MacLeod, when he came, it was afternoon, it was closed. And when he asked that to open that room so that he, she can go in, the one who was the attendant, he told, now I cannot open. It's only in the afternoon I can open it when it's time. And she scolded him. For me, when Swami was living, there was free access for me. There was no such fixed time. Anytime I wanted, I could visit. And now you're saying, I can open the door. So he was bound to open. He opened the door. And now he was just entering with the slippers, with the shoes. Again, the Sevak told, wait, 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 please open the shoes. Again, he got a scolding. But when I, Swamiji was alive, he never asked me to open the shoes. Who are you to ask me to open the shoes? So she, that was her attitude. And now she used to say, very interesting thing, that I never in my life, I never thought of getting, uh, what you say that, uh, uh, come, coming in a relationship with someone because I never found a perfect man and then I found Swamiji and this this is the man whom I really adore, but he has died. But after, after this meeting him, I can never think of just having devotion to anyone else because I never find anyone like him. So that was her adoration and now she went to meet Holy Mother. She went to meet Holy Mother, and a very interesting thing uh, she told that I cannot meditate. I cannot meditate. Then Holy Mother Why? Well, whenever I sit for meditation, it is the, this, the image of Swami Vivekananda that comes to my mind. I was so intensely devoted to Him. Always He comes to my thought. And Holy Mother has told a very interesting thing well, how fortunate you are that the one who is one of the rishis of the seven rishis, has came from a high spiritual realm. To meditate on him, people, it's it takes so much of effort, and it is just there normally to you. And then the next sentence again, the same thing. But no, do not think him just as a person of flesh and bone. That is quite good. His thought comes to you. But always remember, he is that one among the seven rishis. He has came from that the realm of formless so that divide this this is the thing which is very important and why we are stressing it so much because in our present day sri ramakrishna used to say that kolite in kali yuga that our entire life is as if on food without food we cannot survive many translate it while saying that previously people used to fast a lot for days together they will do meditation and they will they can fast and now it is we have become a weakling, but that's the not the real meaning when I mean, the angatha pran has a total different meaning. It's a very interesting meaning that you just see whether it, how the civilization grew. It's a big paradox that we were all hunters, our predecessors were hunters or food gatherers. They used to go to the forest, to collect fruit. And there was no laser. Every day they had to go out. They were able to meet the challenge, come back, whatever food they get. With that, they feed themselves. Again, they have next day. Even if in the present, if you go to the tribal will, that's the thing. which still going on. The thing started changing when we learned agriculture. With agriculture, the laser came. That for a certain part of the year, we just produced the food from gatherers. We became the producers. And now we are sufficient, we just stored them. Now rest of the year, we have sufficient laser, lot of time. And that's how the civilization grew, that yes, that as I have laser to keep myself engaged, I need arts, I need spirituality, I need uh, culture, all those things developed, that music, arts, everything developed that yes, I have no sufficient thing, but uh, in free time, what to do? So, to keep yourself engaged, these things developed. And so, they were paid for that. So, you have to, you don't need not have to take care of agriculture. We are taking care. You are the one who developed this art so that you can entertain us. So, that's how the cultures developed. So, there were, so the, any civilization speaks of a lot of laser. And it is in the search of laser, we are, all our inventions are going on. It is just in search of laser. You have the washing machine It is in search of laser. You have the dishwasher. It is in search of laser. You have all the gadgets and just see the paradox. I have no free time with all the so-called gadgets, which were, it is a product of my search for laser. At last, there is no laser. The even few decades back, very interesting that it was I who is to decide how much I will work. I don't want to work for this, uh, what you say, that extra hours. Uh, so, I don't want extra bonus or extra allowance. I want to just stay with whatever salary I get, the small salary. I want to give, but now there's no such option. Either you work with this overwork or you don't get work at all. So, Kaolitha Annagata Pran means a very different thing that from morning till night, you have to be totally involved with life to earn your bread. Otherwise, you cannot earn. So where is my this chance for spiritual practice? We are saying all these things to just show the significance of Ramakrishna's life. He came to show this, that when there is no such scope to allot some extra time, uh, some separate time for spiritual practice, you just have to change your attitude. Whatever you do, do it with the idea of worship, that you are not dealing with ordinary human beings. It is the divine who has incarnated as all your relatives, as all your kit and keen. and it is by serving them, you are serving the divine. And that way your day-to-day life can become a 24 by 7 spiritual practice. Why all those things we are saying? Because when we read this line that Ramakrishna just hearing of the mother is coming back to the temple garden immediately we may confuse by thinking that he is just like an ordinary man attached to his mother it's no it's not such it's the mother on whom he sees the divine mother and it is with that sense of worship he has the sense of the, his, his sense of duties from that sense of worship with which he is going back and it speaks of the spiritual journey of the present age I simply cannot be a heartless person and just relinquish my all my responsibilities in the name of spirituality. There are many people who in the name of spirituality can be extremely heartless. So that's no spirituality at all. It's just running away. It is just running away from your, from your challenges of life to find security zone. In the name of spirituality, we are resorting to our Comfort zone, our our security, our own security and our own comfort. It is extreme, abject selfishness. That's not spirituality. Spirituality is not to run away and get cocooned. It is to face the challenges of life with a total different paradigm. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna's life and his each and every word actually indicates to that. Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, now, so let's just proceed to the uh, the next paragraph. About 11 o'clock, the master took his meal, the offerings from the temple of Kali. After taking his noonday rest, he resumed his conversation with the devotees. Every now and then he uttered the holy word Om or repeated the sacred names of the deities. Tuesday, October 24, 1882, it was three or four o'clock in the afternoon. The master was standing near the shelf where the food was kept. When Balaram and M arrived from Calcutta and saluted him, Master, to Balaram, well, can you explain the state of my mind? Once I was going from Bardwan to Kamarpukur in a bullock cart, when a great storm arose, some people gathered near the cart. My companions said they were robbers, so I began to this Ramakrishna like a child who is saying something interesting. So I began to repeat the names of God, calling sometimes some Kali, sometimes some Rama. Sometimes some Hanumana, what do you think of that? So it's very it appears to be funny, uh, just as if which name will work, he doesn't know. he's taking. So the, the, our aim is just saying just commenting. Was the master hinting that God is one, but is addressed differently by different sects? Master to Balram, Maya is nothing but woman and gold. A man living in its midst gradually loses his spiritual alertness he thinks all is well with him. Then he gives a very, very blunt, uh, what you say that example, so that it strikes our mind. It kicks us. The scavenger carries a tub of night soil on his head and in course of time loses his repulsion to it. So we get involved in this worldly way of life and think it's quite okay. Just like a scavenger carrying a tub of night soil on his head, and in the course of time loses his repulsion to it. One gradually acquires love of God through the practice of chanting God's name and glories. One should not be ashamed of chanting God's holy name. As the saying goes, one does not succeed so long as one has this, these three, shame, hatred, and fear. In Bengali, it's a, a very n- nice, uh, what you say, a, a proverb. Is, uh, they say ghrina as long as you have shame hatred and fear there cannot be any spiritual uh, evolution spiritual progress in in you it's not possible what it means shame in taking god's name that what will others say ah, that most most that most of my relatives and others they don't believe in God if i just resort to that practice what they will say so from that shame i Just don't take God's name so that if you have that type of shame, there's no chance of spiritual progress. Hatred. You don't have shame. But at the same time, what happens, I resort that I don't have shame, I resort to my spiritual practices and then then I find a lot of opposition coming, criticism coming. And then I may develop hatred for those people who oppose me. So that's why he's saying no hatred, neither shame nor hatred, be indifferent. That hatred is a negative attraction. Whom you love, you think of him or her constantly. And whom you hate, you think of him or her more intensely. You will find, is always there. So hatred is never opposite of love. The opposite of love is indifference. Try to be indifferent. That what indifference means that uh, as Swami Vivekananda gives an example, a bull was just lying lazily, a mosquito was sitting on its... uh, Uh, what you say uh, on its horn and then suddenly the uh, conscience of that mosquito was pricked that conscience was pricking that was probably i'm annoying the bull He asks the bull that am i annoying you and the bull told no no you can bring your entire family and sit means the horn has no sense there's no such sensation so whatever it may that when the mosquito is sitting on your skin do you have really uh, some irritation feeling but the horn Just like your nail, if something is sitting there, you have no feeling. So he's saying you can bring your entire family. The idea is that be indifferent. Even if all those things are there, just as if they are sitting in your horn. it in no way affects you. Be indifferent, don't hate them. Hatred will be the thing which you hate. That's the thing which you're contemplating. That's why you find those who always criticize others, the things for which they criticize others, that those traits you will find in that person because he's contemplating constantly on the thing. When I say other, someone is a liar, by constantly thinking the other is a liar, I am constantly thinking of that speaking lie. And at last, I will resort to it. It will become very natural for me because what you contemplate on, that becomes your nature. So hatred is not the thing which we should recourse to. Swami Vivekananda used to say a very interesting thing that very few people have devotion, real devotion. That when you profess yourself to be a devotee, the way you express that you are a devotee is how strongly you hate the others who are not of your faith. That's the way you show your devotion. But how much real devotion you have for the ideal which you profess to be adhering to? Most probably nothing. Just to show your devotee, you show how terribly, how intensely you hate the one who doesn't believe the same ideal. So it's hatred is a waste of energy. It in no way entails in spiritual progress. So no shame, at the same time, no hatred. Now, when I start spiritual practice, the others may criticize. So I shouldn't hate. But they may not end up only in criticism. They may really physically harass me, try to persecute me. There I should have sufficient courage. I shouldn't be just cowed down by then, I should have, have the sufficient courage to resort to my spiritual practice. Throughout the history of the spiritual world, you will find what? It is the opposition that acted as a condiment, a pickle to the growth of the spirituality. That there is a very nice uh, mantra in Kathopanishad That Ubhe kshatran Brahmacha Kshatrancha Ubhe Bhavati Odana mrityu yesya. what is this mrityu upasechanam the de- death becomes continuent the one who is a realized soul for him the brahman the brahma and the kshatriya the brahmin and the kshatriya brahma kshatriya they are the food why they are the food when you get established in some spirituality what are the two things which binds us in the society which keeps us within the norms of the society It is the dictums of the church, church means any conventional religion, and the dictums of the government. These are the two things. The man of realization, when he finds that those dictums are outdated, or they are not for the good of the humanity, they feel free to transcend them. And there can be tremendous opposition for which a Christ can be crucified, for which the the Sufi sense can be persecuted, for which uh, the, the so-called the mystics, the Christian mystics can be branded as heretics. Throughout the history of spirituality, you will find that has happened. But it is their strength of spiritual realization, because they know nothing can kill them. They are now identified in their spiritual dimension to speak out the truth boldly. They, whatever they profess. They speak out boldly, they live that life. Even death is okay. Nothing can that, nothing can stop them. So that's why they say death is a condiment. Means Brahmin and Kshatriya is the food. And why death is a condiment? Because with their death, with their crucifixion, with the death, that really that, that 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 idea, that ideal which they represented, that immediately, like a tsunami. Starts spreading throughout the world with the death. The death becomes a condiment. So that's why for the real spiritual growth that fear has no place. So that's why he's saying shape, shame, hatred, fear. As long as this tree is there, one cannot succeed in the spiritual life. So one should be beyond that. At Kamar Pukur, they sing Kirtan very well. The devotional music is sung to the accompaniment of drums to balaram have you installed any image at vrindavan so with this the chapter ends balaram replies yes sir we have a grove where krishna is worshiped master i have been to vrindavan the nidhu grove is very nice indeed so with this this chapter ends so for the time being the we will uh, this uh, discontinue with the, this gospel class on tuesday and on thursday where that our uh, class on Uh, Mundaka Upanishad will be over just uh, in a few more classes. The last chapter is remaining. Once Mundaka Upanishad is over, we will continue the gospel on Thursdays. So with this, we stop our discussion on the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. For the time being, thank you all. Namaskars.